episode, do you, um, you remember us talking about this guy, Dan Lyons? He was the one who used to be the uh, fake Steve Jobs, and now he works at Valleywag. He's like the main, if not only, blogger on Valleywag. You remember us talking about him? I don't specifically, but I remember your fake Steve Jobs name. Okay, well, see if this jogs your memory. Dreamforce could be funny. Uh, that, that in itself was kind of like a clown show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know you're talking about now. <laughs> That's him. Uh, so he's, he's out at Valleywag after like a, a month. Um, and it's not that I follow him that closely or anything. I do think he's... What do you mean yeah. out, though? He's, uh, well, I mean, he, yeah, that makes it sound like he got fired, which he, I don't think he did. He said that he uh, is, I guess, sold a book, which means he now has to write the book. Yeah, so he sold, he sold this book, which means he now has to write it, so he has to have time for that. Mm-hmm. And he also um, has some kind of you know, back problem that's been getting worse and worse. So I said he just doesn't have time to do Valley Wag, so he's not going to be the main contributor. He said he might write something from, you know, like, I don't know, maybe on a weekly basis, but you know, this daily, daily blogging type thing that Valley Wag normally has. Mm-hmm. Which kind of sucks because he's really funny and he seems like the type of guy that could dig up the juicy stuff, which is kind of what Valley Wag's all about. Well, he gave us creepy, right? Um, wasn't he the same guy that did that interview? No, that was a Forbes guy. Oh, okay. Adam Lashinsky or something like that. Okay. And it'll be interesting to see who they get to replace him. That's that. That's that. Um, I have another thing. I'm just going to start plowing through stuff and you can interrupt and do something whenever you want. Saw a thing that, uh, it was an article about how open or Walmart is using OpenStack. So we've talked about OpenStack a little bit. Um, I think there was rumor for a while that Salesforce might, and I think they still may be, um, playing with OpenStack. Because, I mean, and Salesforce would be actually be a, a, a candidate for OpenStack because Salesforce runs their own private cloud, which is one of the reasons why I, when Salesforce talks about their cloud and whatever, I, th- I think, and I, of course, this just gets into kind of nitpicking um, semantics, but Salesforce really isn't cloud, um, or at least, um, you know, the, the software is a, their software is a service. That's what it is. And they're good at that. That's their, they're kind of the poster child, but they're not really cloud. They don't, they don't provide, they don't, they may use cloud internally. Like again, they have, you know, I know they just from some of the things they've written on their like engineering blog, you know, we know they do, they run kind of like a cloud type infrastructure internally. Um, but it would make sense for them to be, to use OpenStack uh, internally at, to build their, you know, assuming that that technology worked for them um, to do their, all their private cloud stuff. But in general, there's been all of this, um, I don't know, speculation that, you know, OpenStack is failing or it's just kind of, there's been, I don't know, I think, I think a lot of public failures and just lack, and it's community driven. So you've got all these different interests, um, including public cloud, you know, rack space type people and pretty much everything, right. everyone except Amazon. Well, I mean, I'm sure they've got their own proprietary technology that solves for all that. And I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know that I wouldn't call them not cloud. I mean, everything, of course they've, they've co-opted the word cloud to the point that it's, it's meaningless. No, but the other guys are just the false cloud. That's what it is. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's, well, that's, that's kind of the, the irony is that. Thou shall not worship by, false cloud. For saying their cloud, it's kind of. Again, they they may use cloud and you know virtualization type things internally, but they're that's not exposed to customers. To me, it's just it's a software as a service. 
Um, now Heroku is a little bit of a different story. That's that's cloudy. That's kind of true platform as a service. So if you can't if you include Heroku in that, I mean, I guess they're they're kind of cloud, but all the other stuff is just software as a service. Um, but anyway, so there, this this article was about it was in GigaOM. I don't know who wrote it. Oh, it's it's our friend Barb Darrow. Um, she uh, okay, so they they they're running so Walmart Labs, which is I think in San Francisco. Um, that's where they do all their what is it non Walmart Labs. Yeah, so it's it's just a they, department. They, they didn't outsource that to China. <laughs> no, actually, they're a, yeah they're um, so they, see Walmart Labs has thirty six hundred employees, fifteen hundred fifteen hundred of whom are in uh, the Bay Area. Wow. Um, but yeah, they do. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the more kind of R and D related kind of IT projects at Walmart. But anyway, they're doing a uh, hundred thousand cores of OpenStack. A um, hundred thousand? Yeah, they have a hundred thousand wow. cores. So anyway, the article is just about how they, you know, it turns out this is like a big success story, and um, you know, they have a hundred and forty million weekly visitors. Something like that. It's crazy. Just um, to see what they're doing or what? No, no, no. Like just, I guess on their website and stuff. Oh, okay. This is all about managing their site and the transactions and everything that go through that. Yeah. And it's just about, you know, this says, you know, this is a massive private cloud built on a public cloud scale. I mean, again, you know, OpenStack is one of these initiatives that they've, they've been, I think, needing some success stories. Because there's just been so much criticism, um, mm. yeah, I think Walmart's also contributing a lot, and in, in all this, like the sub projects in OpenStack, Walmart's contributing a lot to them. But you know, so, yeah, so it's just you know the ability of shiny new OpenStack systems to interface with infrastructure that's been in place for decades or more is critical, and it's it, um, it also spells the full employment act for those Walmart Labs engineers. Yeah, I think that goes back to what we we're saying last week, though. It's I don't think the technology is really failing people. I think. I think the the lack of knowledge or experience around implementing that type of solution is, is probably what's failing people. And I, I think I brought it up a little bit that there was, you know, there's there was that Gartner study that said like five percent of only five percent succeed or something like that of private clouds. And I I really think it's really just the unexpected probably issues related to implementing something like that, understanding it, and you know, even transitioning your current workforce into that to that model, I guess. Yeah. Except that, that description makes it sound like OpenStack is this, you know, mature technology. All you, all you have to do is, is have the right people with the reality with OpenStack is it's, I think is it's there's, they're still trying to prove it and it's still, it's still an ongoing work in progress. So you, it's not like it's a matter of just training people up. Like you, I think you really have to kind of be a big company who can, who has the resources to do the R and D and really customize and contribute to OpenStack. And I think that's where the failures come in. I, I I think that speaks loudly to to what I was trying to say, whether or not I said it eloquently enough or not, is that it, it's not a mature technology. It 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 is something you kind of have to do some research development. You still have to kind of get in there and and tinker with it and do some things with it. It's not like this ready made package that already knows how to do all this stuff. And so if you're implementing it and you don't have that background, or you don't have the experience, or you don't have the need or desire to to research it, invest in it, and continue to grow it, I don't think it's going to work for you. Yeah, no, I agree. And you have to you have to be a company that's at a certain level of scale before something like OpenStack makes sense. I mean, right. that's why you know pretty much every startup in the world runs on pretty much Amazon EC two. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. And I, I know, um, you know, Azure has made some some inroads with uh, Microsoft Shops, and and they're starting to try to expand beyond that to just you know running Linux and all kinds of different things. But I mean, Amazon's still just the by far, you know, it's it's Amazon and then everyone else. Yeah, and everyone else combined together doesn't you know doesn't hardly even shows up on a Pareto chart with Amazon. Right. But uh, yeah, well, I, I don't know. I just out think of curiosity, cool. I went to Walmart Labs and found them online. It's, it's a big cube farm, though. I'm surprised. It looks like like there's some pictures that make it seem like they're trying to be all Google-ish with you know some kind of area with bean bags and all that kind of stuff. But then 90 percent of it's just this cube farm, at least from the pictures. Yeah. Um, well, it's Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> hire hire them cheap and stack them deep, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it looks it just looks cluttered. It doesn't look. Like the, you know, I don't know. I guess I was expecting something different. Yeah, it is Walmart, John. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, man, I, you know there has to be some company that I'm criticize. I'm gonna I'm gonna jeopardize all my future uh, employment opportunities. <laughs> it's, a, it's a short list that's left. It is, huh? <clears throat> um, but no, that was I, I just think it's cool. And they ran so Walmart Labs ran all of their uh, Black Friday and and all their holiday sales operations. So huge production success for, uh, for OpenStack. Yeah. I got to think they're turning through a lot of transactions on their site. So, oh yeah. Yeah. If anyone can demonstrate or has the need to, to kind of make that work and demonstrate it, it's certainly them. Um, okay. So do you want to do some stuff before we get into my, uh, clips of dubious length and value? Yeah, sure. I actually have a very important question to ask you. Okay. I mean, the weekend's coming up, weather's starting to get warmer. And it's time to get the grill out, right? Sure. Sure. And, you know, part of the grill, it's just so frustrating. I mean, you got to get out there. you got to turn it on. I mean, we're talking gas grills, right? I and mean, you've got a built-in gas line. I've got the little tank thing on mine. Um, and it's just so frustrating. I, don't, I, I need something better. You know, I need, I need something that, that I can just go out there, press a button, and be done, right? Can't imagine what this is leading up to, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm talking about the Internet of Things and making life better. Okay. I am talking about a company called Lynx that is developing a smart grill. Smart connected grill. Like smart connected <laughs> grill. Is a that gr- not exciting? How about they, they should. I uh, mean, how it, many times have you been outside grilling and just asked yourself, man, why do I have to be out here doing this? This sucks. <laughs> I'm out here outside in the sun. The air's blowing on me and cooling my body for me. I have like this cold beer in my hand. Ugh. I got to drink it just to stay cool. Yep. And I got to stare at this meat burn, you know, it's, <laughs> ah, man. And, and everyone's inside watching the game and I'm just out here by myself. I mean, there's got to be a better way, right? It's a grill on the grid. <laughs> uh, but this is an actual article that was published by Salesforce. And at first I was struggling to understand why were they, why was this a thing on Salesforce? And so, so my exposure to it was just pure morbid curiosity because the, the title of the article is still slaving over the grill. There's an app for that. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, this has got to be a joke, right? So can we be done with there's an app for that? Are you not sick oh, of hearing God. that? God, it's so overdone. Anyway. And so, so my immediate thought was, as I read this article, because kind of that whole little skit I just did with you actually almost came from, <laughs> from this article. Um, it, it, I mean, it, there, there's parts of it where it talks about, you know, why, you know, 
being outside grilling and, and your friends are all inside and wouldn't, wouldn't it be better if you could just kind of put it on there and go. And in my head, I'm going, that's just dumb. I grill because I like to grill. It's, it's fun. It's therapeutic. Sometimes it's my alone time outside with a nice drink and maybe a podcast playing in the background or, or hanging out with friends that were guys. We all congregate around the grill and sit there and talk and, and supervise each other and tell each other when to turn the meat and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's what we do. So I never saw this as being a problem that needed to be solved. Um, and, and well, that's neither- what the Internet of Things is for, John, solving problems that you don't have. <laughs> <laughs> And so it, re- it immediately reminded me of this commercial that I saw and I, I, I want to play it cause it's, all, it's a short 30 minute commercial. Um, and it, you don't really need to need the visual to get the gist of it. So I thought I'd play it for those who haven't seen this commercial. Is this the YouTube thing? Yeah. Okay. Let me know if you can hear it. Grilled meat. Smells so good. Um, what's happening over there? Corn. Oh yeah. That's the X4 Platinum. The world's most social grill. Social grill. Did he just take a selfie? Oh, yeah. Send photo. Watch, he's going to light it with an app. Gas. This is terrible. Kebab, one serving. Get off your gas and grill with Kingsford Charcoal. Get off your gas with your grill on the grid. And, you know, I saw that commercial and I just laughed at it. I was like, that's perfect because that's exactly what she would look like. That's exactly how... I don't, I don't want to say stupid, but you know, that's exactly how, I don't know what the right word is. Just Yeah, well, we can't do anything without our iPad or our phone in our face constantly. Yeah. And he's standing right there, and the fact he lit it with an app. Yep. And so, so anyways, Lynx, Lynx is the company that's producing this. Um, and the reason it's on Salesforce's blog is because the back end for that, for that whole social, for that application itself, the storage of all the recipes that you can get and all those kind of things that are supposed to drive this uh, air quotes. You can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes. Smart technology, smart grill is running on Heroku, which, which is great. I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's an app that's running on Heroku. That's great. That part's great. But the fact that it's running this grill and this article is essentially a big commercial trying to justify this grill um, just for the pure sake of having a win for Heroku is, is just hilarious to me. Oh, that's why Salesforce was writing about it? Yeah, exactly. Oh. So in March, just in time for summer, for all you guys who just cannot stand a grill, or, or, or even to a lesser extent, maybe almost sovereignistic to say for you ladies out there who, who don't have a man or, or, or don't like your, the way your man grills, you can, just, you can just set it and forget it, you know, if I, if I want to infringe on some other... <laughs> <laughs> I watch a lot of infomercials. I find them hilarious. So you'll, you'll hear me pop up for things like set it from forget it. That's, and that was from hilarious. the, uh, that was from Ron Popeil, wasn't it? The, yeah. the, um, what do you call those rotisserie things? <laughs> yeah. Set it and forget I want to see an infomercial for this product. I would love it. I, I love infomercials because I love how they'd make the most simplest things seem s- just difficult. Like, like no one in their right mind would know how to do X, Y, Z. That's why you need my product. And so I just love infomercials for, for that reason alone, is I love to see how they take something really simple and make it really difficult. Yep. Yeah. And so this, this just like went overboard for me because I was like, well, this is dumb. How many other dumb things do we have coming out there? And so I found a few. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just where we're going. Self, self-grilling grills, self-driving cars. Well, we know about the toothbrush. And actually, um, Oral-B updated their toothbrush with Bluetooth support. So now you don't even have to connect and link in. It's just always on. So now you've got a Bluetooth enabled 
toothbrush and it's just always on. And guess how much you get to pay for the privilege of having your toothbrush connected to the internet? How much? $220. Yeah. That sounds like, but, a, that sounds like a Mark Benioff problem. I'm sure he'll, he'll pay the 220 bucks and uh, but get his wait, toothbrush connected. But wait, there's more. You ever have a problem with your, your toilet paper not getting refilled? You ever sit, be sitting there and, and go to reach for something and there's nothing there? Well, that's a thing of the past. That's, that's ancient caveman days because now there's something called the Roll Scout. That's right. It's a, it's a toilet paper roll with a laser light that will de- detect when your roll is low enough that it needs to be changed. And it'll text you. So if you have a forgetful family member that never changes the roll, there you go. It'll text you and you can just immediately go in there and say, hey, refill that roll. Well, that requires me being there to tell them that. It's with your phone. You can text them. Mm. This is all social. Yeah, that would not be good for my marriage. <laughs> uh, toothbrushes, toilet paper rolls, grills. What else do we not the, need? This is the Internet that's of Things, going to be forced Sean. upon us onto the Internet. This is the Internet of Things. Aren't you happy Aren't to see it starting to take shape? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's a win for everyone, isn't it? And that doesn't include, you know, you know cameras. Well, I mean, it's part of it. Cameras everywhere. Um, sensors in, again, back to the sensors in your, in your car and, you know, knowing exactly where you're going and how fast you went so that we can give you the best deal on your car insurance. And how about uh, sensors, you know, on your, on your body? Uh, maybe, maybe the one that's already in your phone can let your uh, health insurance company know that, you know, you get, you get pretty good exercise, so you should get a discount on your health insurance. Oh yeah, because that's that's how they're going to use it. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, they're they're <laughs> going to use it to disqualify you for insurance and to raise your rate. Of course. Well, we talk about that, but um, New York Times recently published an article as well, and they don't seem to agree that the Internet of Things is is all that great either. Um, they they have an article titled uh, "The FTC Says Internet Connected Devices Pose Big Risks." And, and that, that essentially means, I mean, so much of your information is online. A lot of the way these tools or these applications connect is through the use of one of your established accounts. So log in with your Facebook account, log in with your Twitter account, log in with your Google account. I never do that, by the way. I create new accounts on websites if and, I want to use And that them. alone creates a privacy risk, especially since most people by default, when those tools ask for, say you sign in with your Facebook account and you get the login page and then it asks you, well, what kind of data do you want this app to be able to see? Do you want it to see your post? Do you want it to be able to edit your posts or delete your posts or anything like that? And if you're one of the people that does, doesn't pay attention to that stuff or these companies change their terms and you log in for something and all of a sudden something is an opt-out that should really should be an opt-in and all of a sudden that application or that device has access to do things that you were unaware of, which creates, creates a risk. It exposes you a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be gigantic failures of, privacy and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So it's just expanding the amount of exposure we have, you know, when, when we try to enable these devices to do things and, and, and what they're trying to enable them to do doesn't really have any tangible benefit from what I can see. I mean, well, that's my sure, question. What good is this doing any of us? What's the value here? Yeah. I mean, it, it's collecting information, but what do I do with that information? Do I see a pretty graph? Do I have some kind of competition with my friends that says, Hey, I brushed 10 times, two minutes a day. How about you? I mean, w- yeah, no, that you do. And, and also how often do you work out? And if, cause if you don't work out often enough, you know, Michael Dell might call you up and ask you why you didn't work out today. Exactly. Uh, did that, how does that benefit anybody? I, I mean, I guess it keeps you on your game, you know, keeps you healthy. That could be a benefit. A, a whole new in, peer in, pressure. Yeah. The, the, the <laughs> everything becomes peer pressure related. 
And then pretty soon we'll be having support groups for people that were bullied online because they didn't work out. That's true. Yeah, the unintended consequences. Bullying. Yeah, yeah see? Now we're getting into the we bullying We saw stuff. your data, you big wimp. <laughs> You're only bench pressing 80 pounds. And, and, and now, I mean, even nowadays with college applications, you have to be worried about what you post on Facebook because they'll, they'll check out your Facebook account and see which, what kind of person you are. And now they'll be looking at your toothbrush. They'll be looking at your toilet paper roll. They'll be looking at everything. The question is, will they be listening to your podcast? Uh, I don't have to worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I mean, another example of how that's a risk is, um, uh, who was it? I don't remember that article. I thought I had it saved. But anyways, um, there's a guy who was messing around with the API, the graphics API for, was it graph or graph API? I think it's called the graph API for Facebook. And he found that he could delete uh, photo albums. All he did was connect to the API. He grabbed a token from his mobile app, um, which again, all these apps are connecting and they, they get authorized using a token. And that token is for that app. But if you're savvy enough, you know where to get that token. And, and as long as you have that token, and sometimes there's some IP restrictions, but if, as long as you're using it from the same IP that you got that from, you can usually get through. And you can usually do everything that that other app can do because it's, all it knows is there's an API authorized with this token, making calls, and it's authorized. In this particular case, it was authorized to delete these photo albums. And all he needed was the ID of the album and his token, and he was able to delete stuff. And he apparently found a hole to where he could actually delete a lot of different things. I guess the risk was that he could actually delete all photo albums as long as he knew the IDs. or He could. It just would have taken a hell of a long time. But yeah. Assuming that the IDs are not sequential. If the IDs are sequential, then it's a quick little script and there you go. They're all gone. But I mean, there are, there are so many photos on Facebook still. He, he would have to, you know, with his script would have to be slamming Facebook, you know, nonstop for 24 hours a day for like weeks probably. So I mean, it was yeah. obviously it's a big vulnerability, but uh, yeah. You, and you well, see the, Facebook uh, is big enough and savvy enough. They solved it within two hours of it getting reported. He obviously reported they're, they're, They have a bounty program where if you find a bug like that, you can report it and they reward you. Um, yeah. He got like 18,000, something like yeah. that. 20,000. But it just kind of speaks to the kind of exposure that we have. We have all these different things connecting, all of these things authorizing, all of these things that we now have to worry about. Did I, I sold that my toothbrush or I sold my grill and I forgot to disconnect it from my account. It's still connected. So now that person's accessing my stuff. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's just to the benefit of, you know, a a very small number of powerful parties, this type of data. It's, uh, yeah, count me as uh, in the skeptical camp. Um, okay, are we re- you ready for my? So I, I've got. If you're, if you're not ready, let me know. But this, so some clips from. Um, it's a it's a podcast that Michael Cote does, and I can't remember the name of it because he changes his podcast about every three months. Anyway, changes they, they it talk, how changes oh, the just, title though. just cl- stops it and creates a new one, and I don't know. Oh, it's wow. Super confusing. Um, but he's he's a uh, like a industry analyst of some sort. I don't know. He just oh you know what now he he just uh, actually he j- just took a job at uh, Pivotal doing something for them. Maybe he'll work on their uh, what's their thing called? Um, oh, uh, not OpenStack. It's they have their own. I don't cloud I, found, cloud foundry. Uh, anyway. Okay. But uh, you know, so it's like him and a couple other tech. Tech guy, techies <laughs> talking about 
mainly like tools, like um, chat tools, communication tools, and just how uh, like adoption and how sometimes they suck and whatever. But um, I'm just gonna start it, and we can uh, we can talk about it. Yeah, yeah, so, let's go for it. See if you can hear this. But the the other thing I wanted to recommend. So at the new job, they uh, they use Slack. That that uh, that that sort of like uh, it, we you know I, I work in the white collar section of the world despite being technical so I'm I'm not I'm not uh, what do they call that ops chat or whatever Matt Ray you must know chat ops yeah chat ops so this is this is good this is good uh, white collar chat or chat collar I don't know what to call it but it's actually like like once once you get we, I tried to use this when I was at four five one but it suffered from no one uses it but once you actually get people using it it's awesome. Like you send little funny gifts to each other and there's actually like business that occurs in it. So first of all, I think we should start using Slack again because I didn't realize we could send funny gifts to each other on it. We should. I, I load <laughs> it up every day. I don't know what's, what's up with your side of things. Oh, all right. And the other thing, this is, this is the other thing I'm trying to do is like, you know, we've got Skype and we got the Google Talk and we got this and we got that, but you can also do IMing in, in Slack. Mm-hmm. So I think if you just do everything in Slack, life will be better and it like logs it and and, and I, I like the notion that like i can i can basically ignore the people who work too late and the next morning i can come in and just read what they've written in slack so that's my so there's one interesting thing there which he talks about how when you're it works when you do when everyone's using it and when you're doing everything in the one tool right right and that's always been like a salesforce mantra you know i'm sure you've heard the if it's not in salesforce it doesn't exist you know, people refusing to talk to you if you haven't logged it as a, as a lead or something <laughs> in Salesforce. It's like, oh, are you kidding me? Uh, I didn't see that on the chatter feed. It must not have happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nope, don't talk to me. I only communicate chatter through chatter, chatter only. It, it better be in chatter. Yeah. If you're I do all my business it. through my, my mobile phone. I don't talk to humans anymore. <laughs> uh, uh, recommendation. Use Slack. How well does it tie into Salesforce? Now this I have not experimented with. I've only been on the job like a week and a half. I do have I a Salesforce account. It's great. I like it. Your your optimism is is awesome because it's like, oh yeah, everyone's going to use Slack, and it's like I bet you know there's a couple IRC servers and oh I I, I only use. mean I only mean for my team to be clear. Your team, have, yeah, have, that's the only thing you can do. Just localize mean. localize. Like hey, if you can get five or ten people on the same thing and they're not complaining totally. about it, you've won. Never- okay, so now that's interesting too. Because again, and with CRM, that you know, adoption is one of the big critical factors, and it's right. always one of the things that's hard to do. And and you know, it doesn't matter, you know, who, who you get to help, or you know, you can get the high, you know highest price consultants. I mean, they a lot of times those people are actually complete idiots when it comes to adoption because they don't understand humans. Um, all they're just MBAs. Uh, but yeah, it's like getting adoption, and 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 if you. And and the best bet, what they just were talking about, your best bet is just to get a small group. Get a small group to use it. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, that it sounds like they have Salesforce because he didn't say, oh, the, the, we don't have Salesforce at this company. Um, he just says, I, I'm assuming it's going to work with it, which I don't think it does. Um, I've never seen that connector. But anyways, that's not the point. The point is that he's starting with a small group. There's these similar tools in Salesforce. You have Chatter, you have you know file sharing, you have all those things. So why wouldn't they be using Salesforce? Why Slack? Well, exactly. And so all three of those guys work for different companies, and I believe all of their companies have Salesforce. Ah, okay. So, yeah, but let's uh, let it roll here. Forget I, mean, company. I just mean at the team level. Like, I, I would almost like, not, not, not to give like the silly answer to your criticism, because it is correct, Brandon, uh, but I would almost say that it's a little dangerous to mandate 
collaborative use at a company. Oh, that's that's the death nail. Anytime yeah. that's the death. Anything that's mandated is immediately hated. So, okay, so that's really interesting too. Yeah, and, and, and that's true. I, I agree with that. But that's how. I mean, I don't think there's any way around it. I mean, if you're going to deploy Salesforce and invest in Salesforce, you know, you you're kind of mandating it. I mean, it's like here, use Chatter, use this this thing, and we don't care whether you don't like it or not. You know, if it if it's not in there, it doesn't exist. And and I'm sure that works in some environments with some types of people, but it's really not it's really not the right way to get adoption. No, because the, the mandate usually is. We've got this. We're going to start using this. Everyone put everything in here. It's not a conversation about, hey, we've kind of got this problem with communication. We've got this problem with with trying to find documents that are really critical. We want, we want to make sure that some of this information makes it to our support team. It's not that types of conversations. And that could be their end goal, all those those kind of points. But that's not how it's communicated. 90% of the time, it's, it's here. Here's this tool. Now use it and make sure everything's in here because we're watching. Yeah, and I still think one of the best tricks to this is to try to get everyone involved in the er, like early in the process in terms of how you're going to use this. Like, okay, we're 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 looking at using this tool, but we want your help on how we're going to use it and how to customize it in a way that works the best for you. Because anytime yeah. you can you open that dialogue and people feel like they had a part in in building it, then they're you know they're way more likely to to actually use it and. and have some adoption. Right. Well, it, it, it kind of goes back to the internet of things as well. I mean, here's this thing. I don't really know what to do with it. I didn't really ask for it. I, I, you know, yes, it collects information and it could potentially be valuable for some kind of reporting, but beyond that, what do I do with it? How has it enriched my life? How has it made things better for me in terms of some of this communication tools? How has it changed my job? How has it made it better except for having me to do one more thing? Well, and again, I, I just think that's, I think that goes back to the, you know, getting people involved in those questions, those kind of questions I think would come up and, and the way you answered is, okay, well, that's, that's a great question because that's what we want your help with is how we're going to get value out of this. You know, right. we really have to make sure that we, you know, configure it in the right way and, you know, set all the, the knobs and stuff, right. So that, so that we do get value out of it. Right. Um, yeah. Interesting. Never exactly. do that. So exactly. everyone, so, so, so would I be but yeah, so they're saying never, never just drop it. Never just drop that bomb on a company or a department and say, here, this is your thing. You use this now. Right. It's just, it's never going to work. Uh, um, they, they, or at least it's never going to work in an environment where, where, where you have smart, independent people. You know, if you have people that are, you know, I guess lower level people that don't have a lot of options and are stuck, then maybe it would kind of work. But even then you're just, you're getting compulsory adoption, which is not real healthy. It's, you know, anytime someone's doing something because they're forced to do it, it's never going to be, I mean, they may go through the motions, but it's yeah. not going to be effective. I think there's some psychology there too. I mean, you're being forced to do something. You don't understand why. So your automatic default is they want to keep tabs and make sure I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. Or they want to make sure I'm sitting right here at my desk. And you know, that people don't work well under that. Yeah. And it's just not a good way to manage. Um, and that's what it feels like. Some of these tools where there's a lot of communication, a lot of kind of social socializing, the communication, it almost feels like they're monitoring you. They're watching you. It feels very big brotherish. It doesn't feel like, Hey, this is a tool that, that helps us solve this problem. It, it feels like if you just drop it and say, here, we're using this because it's so connected and everyone can see everything. It really does feel like that kind of big brother type situation. Yeah. No, that's, that's, and that's usually, unfortunately, that's usually what it is. Yeah. They took away any chance of, of, of having options. It's like Lotus, boom. 
Well, you have to have, it is like <laughs> adoption is like anything else. You have to have enough people. And then even if people don't like it, they'll be on it because they just, you know, so they just. Yeah. To, I, I, I mean, we, we, we've also, we also, I mean, we should say this for next week, but we've also been using Trello, which is nice. Like I, I, okay. I, I, I think, I think at the team level, I have a theory that I'm testing out that the way that you encourage and sustain the use of some whack-a-mole collaboration tool is, is one, you do the, uh, you do conversion by leadership, right? So I try to only use those two tools as the ways that I communicate with people. So there's at least like, right. You know, some incentive, right? Right. So like, if you want to talk with me, you have to do it through these two things. And then I try to use them to the maximal benefit as well. So I can at least demonstrate how you use it. So that, that was, that part's interesting because he, he says he, in one breath, he says, don't mandate. That's, that's the death nail for a collaboration tool. But then he goes on to say, if you want to talk to me, you have to do it through, through these two tools. And that, that seems to kind of contradict himself there. Yeah, I mean, I think, he's, I think he's a little bit talking out of both sides of his mouth. Yeah, that he but, just kind of chose his words uh, poorly. I, I'm not sure what point he was trying to make there, but yeah. Well, and again, I, we were talking about this earlier. <laughs> you know, he's, I think he's saying, like, don't email me your spreadsheets and stuff. You know, use... You know, if you if we're going to communicate electronically, like here's these two things that we've chosen that we're going to use. I mean, you can't, you do have to at some point decide what you're going to use because you can't use these 82 different things. You can't, you know. Yeah. And I think that's fine. I, th- I think what I have in my head is someone came up to him and talked to him and said, Hey, let's do blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Nope, wait, put it in that tool. <laughs> now, if yeah. he's saying that he's definitely wrong. Cause I mean, uh, definitely you want, you know, face-to-face communication over, over a tool. All right. We'll use that. Slack, Matt, right? The Slack guy has a whole answer for you. It's time. I know. I know. I know. I'm not done. We got more tools. Bring on on Slack. (laughs) What you're telling me, Brandon, is Slack has a paradigm. They do. They've made, or at least they're pushing for it. Although this this is, you know, on the Salesforce thing, I always wonder about this about Salesforce. Like, it is always used as the example of the successful SaaS company. But every time I use Salesforce, it is impossible to use. It is like the worst tool ever made. Like you get in there and there are charts everywhere and there's widgets and there's chatter. I was like, this thing you, you, is you worse know, than almost any piece of software I've ever had to use day to day. But then everyone loves it. People say they love it, but it's the worst UI he's ever used. Well, and people do say they love it. Um, but is it, is, I wonder if that's more managers and people who, you know, sponsored and have like a, a, uh, a career interest in this project, this CRM project being successful, or if it's the people who, you know, rank, rank and file people who are just trying to really just trying to either sell things or, you know, they're programmers just trying to communicate or, you know, coordinate on some, I, on a build or I, bugs or issues or something. I think that's a hundred percent the reason I, so and that kind of reminds me of a situation when, when I was working for a big enterprise, we had some divisions that were using Salesforce. They were using professional and they're using it because they needed, they needed to track some things. They want to track their deals. They, they wanted, and they wanted to all be able to see that and run some reports. You mean and that what professional edition is what you're talking about? Yeah. What, did I not say professional edition? Uh, you said, prof- I think you said professional, but I just wanted to oh, okay. clarify. Yeah. That's what you meant. Yeah, it's the it's the basically the low end, the the small business end. You don't have all the API, you don't have all that other stuff. You just got the tool itself. And sometimes they had like maybe three accounts between them, and that's what they were using it for. And I think that's what if you're in a small group or you're a team and you kind of have an idea of what you want and what you need to track, you're going to pick that small tool. But what we were building for the corporate for the big overall grand scheme of things across the enterprise was this 
massive tool with all this data collection, all these points of data that had to be tracked and reported up, you know, not necessarily designed for, to help the guy get something done. It was, you need to capture this piece of information because marketing needs it here and we need it for this report to the CIO here or whichever, you know, that's what we were designing for those guys. And you do, you end up with all these massive reports, you end up with all these massive data collection points, you end up with all these massive dashboards and charts and those that are actually trying to get stuff done, they're having to kind of filter through this and provide all this extra information because it's needed above you, not necessarily needed for what you need to do on day-to-day basis. Well, and that's one of these things that defines, you know, what enterprise software is or separates it out from, you know, non-enterprise software. Enterprise software is designed and made for people who make decisions about enterprise software, not for people who use enterprise software. When, when the people that make the buying decisions are not the people that actually use it, that's, that's enterprise software. And, you know, and and this guy's saying he loves Slack. And I think that's because it fits his immediate need of the way he wants to communicate. I think if, if, if enterprise got a hold of Slack and said, Hey, you're going to have to use this tool and you need to do all your communication in it. He might actually find some problems with it because now it's mandate. Now it's, it's something that he has to do to satisfy the, the higher ups. It's not necessarily coming from him within saying, I need this tool because it helps me solve for this particular problem. Uh, maybe, but you know, I think if you just like take an objective look at Slack, if, if a person does, I know you have, it's, it's just so well built. It's clearly built for the person that has that you know, is using it. Right. Yeah, but he sought out to use Slack for his team because he went out and said, hey, I need this tool to communicate. I don't like email. I don't like this. And I looked at these things and Slack looks like it does it and it does it really well and I enjoy using it. Therefore, I'm going to use it for everything. And I'm going to get other people to use it because I think it's a great tool for that. It didn't come down from the top and said, hey, we've got this new initiative internally and everyone needs to use this tool. I don't care if, if, you know, the person's sitting next to you and you can usually just go up and talk to them. You have to use this tool because we need to keep track of all our communications. Right. I mean, when you're using a that's going to be the big difference when you're using a tool because your CEO made a deal with the CEO of the tool company, that's not a good sign. Right. (laughs) That's not even what I was referring to, but yeah, that's that's not, that's not good. I know that's kind of what you meant, but I'm just saying that the, the reason for having to use that tool is different when it comes from above. It's to satisfy their needs, the needs of the CIO, the needs of the marketing, the needs of the CEO. It's fulfilling a need that they have. Your needs are going to be different than their needs. And so whenever you're talking about these tools and these smaller tools that these smaller teams tend to gravitate towards and use internally that aren't necessarily part of the big architecture for the enterprise, it's because they have different reasons for using them. And that's something that's just on an ongoing sad thing to me is that the tool that people would most like that would help them do their job the best is not the same tool that, that managers think helps them do their job the best. Yeah. It is. Why and the sad why, part is Salesforce could still be that tool that the small group likes to use. It's, I mean, it has the chatter tools. It has the capability. It has the ability to create and customize what fields you're showing and displaying and, it's a good tool and it can be that tool. I think the problem is, is how it gets implemented top down. Yeah, I, I well, I, I agree. I mean, you have to, if you just have like these, you know, high level dictates that are, that really don't make much sense. I agree. That's a problem, but, but I don't, I don't think you can sweep under the rug that Salesforce has some barnacles that have developed on it. And there's other tools that are way more usable and, and just look better and feel better. And that's going to start, 
eating their lunch on the low end on the on the meaning on the you know small and medium business end. Yeah, because eventually those those type of tools will make their way into enterprise, and people look at Salesforce and go, "Man, this this is not good." I like using this other tool. Yep. Can't yep. sales? Why can't Salesforce be more like this? Why can't you be more like your brother? Yeah, <laughs> he's perfect. Man. A new SaaS of of uh, of CRM or we need whatever slack it is. Guys. We need a slack guy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I mean that that's the justification for all the monitoring uh, stuff that you were talking about earlier. The log stuff, the the BI stuff, like all the old stuff has gotten overwrought and hard to use. And you know, we need a new paradigm of CRM. And you know what? Well, There's probably yeah, SaaS out there. I, I just are, I just don't want to log into Salesforce. So every time <laughs> yeah. someone does it, I'm always like, "Can someone just email me that report?" I don't I don't really want to. Go I, I, I tried. I, I tried. They were like, "Hey, you failed that, Ray. You don't want to log into Salesforce because now they're going to now in theory you're supposed to be able to do it." But you'll I fought it for so long. I I even turned in my account for a year and a half. I was like, "I don't you need this." Deprovision yourself. You're like, "I'm I don't need to see this data." <sighs> but now I got deals. <laughs> I got deals. deals. I got to track. First yeah, trip stops I, I, coding. I, now Matt Ray has a Salesforce account. Where what has happened to my people? What has happened to these? <laughs> Brandon's like, I'm still in security. Yeah, Brandon. Yeah, I, I, go, in I never did notes. anything, right? I was always on the side. I never really did any work. Now you guys are coming to me. This is sad. Uh, and I'm disappointed in all of you. Yeah, you know, my my close out on man, this is this is like the we hate we hate everything episode. But uh my my limited observation in Salesforce is that you need a Salesforce programmer who basically yep. progr- programs up your process uh, in, into it. And, and then it- you, you know, what's sad about that is that that's not how it's marketed. That's not how Salesforce sells. They don't sell it as, hey, it, they sell it as, hey, it's got all these cool tools. It can do everything. It's point and click. Zero software, the zero software logo. And what they mean by that is, you know, you're not having to install anything or anything like that. It's all here. You just point and click configure it. And unfortunately, because of how data the UI is and your particular needs of how you want to run that, how you want to gain some kind of efficiency in entering data, uh, it's just not true. You do need, you do need programmers. In fact, that's why Squid is so popular because it, it tries to provide a better UI, a better way of creating UIs without the need for a developer, even though for some of the stuff I do, it really needs a developer. I wish I had a ching ching sound effect. I need a cash register sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is, it seems like a self serving clip, but I really didn't intend it to be that way. There is is a, is is why I was two thirds joking about Slack having a paradigm, right? And and then Matt Ray held up that can can ban Kanban book, you know, for Trello. Is it sort of like can ban? It's easy to forget that like the tool uh, basically sucks unless everyone understands how to use it. And and I think that's the first step in pro. And at least when I've seen people happy with Salesforce, is they all sit down to like, you know, what we're gonna do? We're gonna take a week off and agree on how we're gonna use this tool. Okay, that was just <laughs> that's exactly what I was talking about, right? Yeah. And and. I think he, I think obviously, I think he's totally right on that. You have to, you have to stop and get everyone involved because everyone, everyone who's going to be using it is a stakeholder in this thing. But that, that works at a, a smaller level. It doesn't work at big enterprise. It, it can't work that way. Well, I mean, doesn't, I mean, it sounds great well, and it I, sounds awesome. It sounds like, yeah, that's the perfect solution. Let everyone have a voice in how this is going to work and, and then as long as it does that, then I'm going to use it every day because it, it helps solve my problems, but you can't, I don't you know. can't cater to every single person. It's like, it's like, I don't know. It's like 
having a stadium and saying you're going to cater to every specific person's needs in that yeah, stadium. Except, except that you could have theoretically like in a big company, like I mean, each, each department could you know, have its own, you know, record types and its own sales process and its own support processes. So I don't know. I mean, even that tends to get back complicated. On that a little bit. And, and well, what, it is what, complicated. And what but. companies try to do at that level is they, they see something that works. They see a sales team that has some kind of process that works and they want to replicate that. And, and that's where you, you start getting into these things where they don't, they don't really want you to have your own process. They want you to do it a certain way because it yields a specific result they're trying to achieve. It's not the wild west. It's well, and the question is, is that it's, it's is the is the business wanting that specific result? Is that it? Is that at odds with people actually being able to deliver that result? I, I think I think it assumes that that x x if you follow these steps, if you do a plus b plus c, you'll get this result, and it and that result benefits the company greatly. So we want everyone to do A, B, and C. But maybe for that group of people in that region of the country, A, B, and C works. Maybe for another region, A, B, C, D works better. Well, I think that's just when you have to be smart about the fact that you've got, you know, you've got this tool that can be customized to have support different processes and different, you know, different departments using it differently. I mean, obviously at some point, you know, there's, there's a well, people, what do people call it? Like their, their enterprise object model or whatever, you know, you have to have, you do have to have some basic agreement on, you know, what a customer is and what proper, you know, what, you know, fields, I guess, in the Salesforce lingo, what yeah. fields and things you need to collect and, and track. But, but there's a lot of room for customization still. And I, I still think that even in a really big company, if a company was doing like a company-wide rollout of Salesforce, they really could get every department involved and solicit ideas and talk about how they're going to use it. Cause they're all going to have to sit down and be trained on it for probably days anyway. So it's not like you're going to get you're not going to get out of this implementation process without it being very expensive in terms of taking employees' time. It's going to be, yeah. and if you and if you try to shortcut that, then you just will not get adoption, and it's, yeah. it's not going to work. And, that, and that's key. I mean, it's being realistic about the time and cost that it takes to do it, if not the right way, the best way that you can, in terms of just kind of trying to make well, sure because well, you're and because you're never going to get it right the right. first time, and also what's if you do you know, get it really uh, dialed in six months from now, that's, you're going to need to change it. Business nowadays. I mean, everything changes so fast and markets are so competitive. It's a global en- environment, you know, bit, you know, you're the business you're in changes. You've got to, and that's another thing. Like you've got to you probably should have, you know, quarterly little powwows on how's this working, you know, what needs to be changed. And it's just an ongoing thing. And fortunately that's, that's one thing the Salesforce is great at, you know, it facilitates just this ongoing, um, you know, change of, of your processes and how you, you know, again, how you view your, all your enterprise data. Um, and it can be done at a, um, at a departmental level. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I think it is great at that. I think, I, I think, I think people, or at least a lot of companies that implement, they take that top down approach. They, they don't think about multi-phase deployments and trying to make sure that it's configured correctly for, different types of groups. I think they try to take an all or nothing type approach to things and they get what they pay for basically. Yeah, exactly. All right. Almost done with this. Next step. We're going to force the tool to fit to our process. Whereas like I've had this experience. You Okay. So versus the other way around, you know, see, we're going to, we're going to fit this tool to our process, not we're going to, you know, try to modify our process because this tool only does it a certain way. Right. But that also means really figuring out what your process is. And that's true. And, and 90% of the time when a new system know, comes right? in, they, <laughs> they either don't know, don't know or they know they need to change their process. And they're trying to use this opportunity of changing systems to change their process. Which is 
which is always kind of a double-edged sword. It's like, okay, it's good. It's good that you're being self-aware now and you realize you need to change your process, but it's tough to change your process and to implement the system at the same time because you really need to focus on changing your process and how that affects everyone, you know, upstream from you, downstream from you, your customers and everything else. And if you're also trying to implement a new system at the same time, that's, that's overload. So, but sometimes it's just, it's the lesser of two evils. Like you really need to change this process now and what, you know, what better time because we're doing this new system. So I don't know. Don't ask me. I've had with Salesforce and numerous other tools where I log in, right? And I'm like, so what do I do? What's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, and, and, and like, how could I search for active accounts that are in Austin so I can go visit them? And because that question has never come up in the process, right, it's impossible. And, and so, so it is like, but that's what's frustrating is like, and, and this is why tools like Excel and probably Tableau are so like valuable is, is they, they're the rare, rare tool that's cracked the general purpose thing. Like you can kind of like bend those two tools to do whatever you want, regardless of any, um, it needs no a priori, which is fancy talk for knowing what you're doing ahead of time. Uh, knowledge of of uh, of things, but but all right. So that was the end of it. But that's kind of interesting dangerous. He, interesting. He brings up Tableau uh, in light of the Salesforce Analytics Cloud. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think there's there's a bit of a uh, and sorry, I'm going back to something he said because it, it triggers something for me, and that's you know wanting to be able to see more information that maybe you didn't have access to before because because the process was designed a specific way, but that also gets into you know, data access and, and security permissions. I mean, usually from the top down, they want it as strict as possible. They only want you to see very specific bits of information. It's rare that something at the top business level is going to say, here, here's all the information. And you have the flexibility to use it. And it sounds like what he wants and that he's getting from some of these other tools is the flexibility to see everything and to do whatever he needs to do. Or to, or to be able to respond to how people are going to be using it in the real world. Like you don't, like he said, you know, the a priori knowledge, you don't, you don't necessarily, you don't, it's almost like agile software development. You know, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And until you go through this process, you're not going to have really much of an idea about what you want in the end, even though you think you do right now. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a double-edged sword hidden within that though. I mean, yeah, you're working for the company and you're a good employee and both your goals in terms of your career are aligned with the company's goals and everything's great. Or you're a disgruntled employee who has access to all the information because, because that's the process they designed, and you leave and you take a bunch of information with you. Oh, well, that's probably illegal. I don't know how illegal it is. If you have access to the information and you have a copy of it and you take it, I, I don't know. Yeah. All, all I'm saying no, is that, that, there's, that there's a double-edged sword <laughs> to having the tool that lets you do whatever you need to do at any point in time, the flexibility to do that. And aligning that with whatever security or, or IP that the company's trying to protect. Well, that's right. And that's, that's just an ongoing balancing act. That's very difficult. But I'll tell you what, nowadays, if you are not giving your employees the best information in the most timely manner, then you're probably not you know, going to be able to compete. Oh, yeah. And if you don't trust your employees, then you know, get new employees. Get ones you can trust. Yeah, exactly. Oh, all right. Well, that's that uh, monster clip. Sorry about that. I just monster thought it was interesting because I hit so many different little, you know, f- memes and things that we talk about, and they were all talking about Salesforce too. So, yeah, no, that was great. I mean, they they did have a kind of. <laughs> it was interesting to see that conversation progress, and and just to kind of hear some of the same things that we talk about, 
some of the same problems we have, some of the same concerns we have. So yeah, that was nice. Uh, I, I'd really only have one other thing and it's just kind of an update on something we talked about last week, which was my horror story of deploying something. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of really, it, it brought up two points. One that CL data is now evil. I, before it was kind of what you dealt with. And now that, now that we've progressed far enough that seeing all data is something you have to opt into for your unit tests. It's extremely evil. It just causes all kinds of problems if you have to enable it, which means that some of these features that you need to turn it on for, you basically can't use. You can't use activity histories. You can't use anything that requires CL data. Because what happens is I, I write code, I write my tests, it's CL data, but then my code triggers other things. So if you have a trigger that's related and it's running its tests, it's probably going to break it because it's, you're seeing all the data and it wasn't designed for that. Mm. The same thing with future calls. I, I'm very, I, I try to be mindful of the user's experience. So whenever I can, and whenever I'm doing something that's background related, I don't need to respond to the user. I try to make sure that I'm using that. I'm using it, uh, doing a future call. So my trigger will trigger something. It'll, it'll go into the future state. That way the user isn't having to wait because they don't have to for all my code to finish running, to do a bunch of stuff in the background. However, in doing so, if, if that triggers other things and, and people are also doing the same thing, but they're not validating whether or not they're in the future context, then it breaks. And therefore, I cannot run my code in a future context be, other, without changing their code as well. Yeah, they, this see-all data should have never been invented. I, they, well, I, you know, think about it. Bef- well, it wasn't really okay, invented. So here's the problem. It, it, was, it was a poor implementation in the towards the beginning of yeah. what unit testing should be like. Okay, yeah. So here's the problem. Before there was see-all data, it was actually just forced. You always saw all data, right? right? Yeah. But at least you knew that all tests would be seeing all data. Right. Well, now, if people are doing, if you're doing it quote-unquote right, the right way, you're not using CL data. Right. Right? Except sometimes you have to use CL data, but you live in the same, you know, lake as all these other tests that don't see all, don't, uh, aren't expecting CL data. data. Right. Yeah. So, so it actually, in, in adding this CL data feature, they've created a bigger problem than what we already had. Yeah. And in my particular case, it, it not only made things unusable because I couldn't get into production because it was affecting so many other things, but it forced me to rewrite my code in a way that, that was a little bit more inefficient. Um, just to be able to get around that issue. And then, and then again, there, there's features that I do that are, I think, in terms of like best practice, if you're going to use things like future, make sure you validate that it's not in that call. And you really should anyways, because your code could be run multiple times and you don't want to be in that same context. It should throw an error if you, if you come across it. But I know you don't believe in best practices or, or whatever, but I, I think it's just something that we all have to be aware of that, you know, if you're going to use this feature, make sure you validate what context you're in so that you can make sure to, do the right kind of context switching. Otherwise it's going to cause issues down the road, either for yourself or for other developers that are coming in trying to maintain that system. Yeah. But I think you make a good point though, which is that in some situations, these, these two worlds are going to collide. These two separate, you know, parallel universes of seeing all data and not seeing all data. Right. And there's nothing you can do about it. And it's, and it's, um, boy, it's, it's bad when it happens and it, it can be hard to solve. Like you're the, you're the, you, I mean, basically you're, you're going to have to end up with um, you're changing 
really changing existing tests that already work that actually test the system in, in a good way. You're going to have to change them to basically being able to see production data. And that's a bummer. Yeah, that or, or somehow bypass the validations they are doing and in essence just kind of invalidating that test at all. Which happens. Yep, it, I mean, I've seen it happen. I've seen, I've seen assertions that I've had in code get removed because for some reason or another, their tests were failing and, and they decided just to get rid of my assertions so it would pass. And this is how you end up with, you know, these unmaintainable orgs, orgs that have, you know, if you're lucky, they, they actually have enough test coverage. But you, when you actually go look at the tests there, well, first of all, you'll have most tests that are testing way too many things in one test. You'll have a, you know, an individual test method that's, you know, a thousand lines long. And if you're lucky, actually, it'll have a bunch of assertions. Although in reality, you really want tests, you know, the, the, the kind of, I don't want to say best practice because I don't believe in those, as you just said. <laughs> the way you're supposed to, to test is each test really should be testing one thing. And there shouldn't be, each test should have one reason why it fails. And if you're, if you're running, if you're exercising some production code, and you know, you, you've got a test, and you've got a bunch of assertions, that means there's a lot of different ways that test can fail, which means that, you know, what the way you, there's, that means there's going to be actually no good name you can give that test. So you'll see all these tests fail, but you, because the name of the test can't really describe those 15 different things it's actually testing, now you've got to go dig into, you've got to, you have to be digging into stack traces in and doing all this extra work to figure out what actually went wrong. Yeah. And, and so... So yeah, you end up with, you know, long tests, tests that test too many things. And, 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 and like you said, you know, just removal of assertions. So you're really you know, tests that aren't, that aren't testing anything anymore because it just got too complicated. Trying to make the system happy with its limitations uh, just got to be too, uh, you know, uh, a burden that you can't, can't live with. You can't, you can't make it happy in, in a way that, you know, and in, the, in, the, in the amount of time that you have to spend on this thing. Right. On the, on, with the amount of budget you have, it's just, it's not, it's not possible. It's not worth it. So you just end up with um, a really bad, you know, suite of tests that, may, that will make future development even harder. Right. So, I mean, we really need a, a better test system. It, I hate to say this cause it almost opens up a can of worms, but it, it, Salesforce focus as much as they want to say it is, is not developers. It's not, it's, and they focus on the platform, but they're focused so much on the point and click tools that I, I feel like the developers end up just having to deal with whatever they come up with as a solution. And I know it's a hard problem to solve. I know it's not an easy problem to solve. So I'm not trying to say that they're not doing anything. But at the same time, well, there's some of these deep-grained issues that really could use some attention, that really could help us. And instead, what we get is we get Band-Aids. We get run your test, and for four days, you can run it without running your tests again to get in deployment. Or you can selectively run certain tests and not others for for um, ISVs, you know, or CL or CL data. <laughs> yeah. So we, we get all these band-aids. So we don't get any kind of true problem solving on some of these major issues. Yeah. And this is the tough thing about inventing your own technologies, your own proprietary platform as a service, your own programming languages, your own tools. When, when you only are a, you're only a one company, right? And you're not, you know, you're a four, four or five, $6 billion company which in the grand scheme of things for, for the amount of technology that they're creating is not a very big company. And on top of that, their R and D budget is, you know, it's not even half of what their sales and marketing budget is. There's just not enough resources internally to do these things in the way that we would like them done. If you're going to, if you're going to, if everything's going to be proprietary, right. 
they're taking that. That means that they're, you know, they're essentially, you know, they're not going to leverage existing languages and, and tools and, and IDEs and things. They're going to, they're going it all on their own. And I, and I see why they want to do that. Right. It's <laughs> kind of locks you in. Yeah. Um, but well, more now, than that, it gives them control over what's being executed as well. I mean, to a point that they can somehow rely on, it's not like some foreign code being run in their environment. Well, there's, there's other ways to, I, yeah, but I think that's a, I think that's a, some kind of fallacy because they, you don't have to go all proprietary in order to have safe code. Maybe you not, know, but I think, I think some of these problems that we for- have are problems that other languages have, but we're able to solve for them in different ways because we have either hooks or we have the ability to run other programs to do certain things. You know, we, we, can, we can write a Java program and have it call out to a, another open source tool that solves a problem for us in a very specific way. Yeah. And you don't have that opportunity with Salesforce. You have to build it in whatever tool set they have and with whatever coding or language environment yep. they provide. Yep. And it's still, it's just, like I said, it's, it's not really, it's not really competitive. It's not, it's not up to speed with other environments. You know, there's, the tools are very limited. There's, even though it's a very static language, there's no, there's, you know, no refactoring. There's no, um, there's no good, uh, finding. I mean, there's basically no, there's no AST. There's no apps, you know, there's no abstract syntax tree that at least that's that maybe I'm sure Salesforce internally has that, but it's not exposed to, you know, any of the IDEs or the tools that we have. So you so you can't do things like you know find um, find all usages of this you know this uh, public member of a class or something right you know you just have to be kind of the old you have to you know remove it and run your tests and hope that your tests are good or or remove it and then you know recompile everything it's just everything's very slow you know it's just it makes it's not as productive right um, but but it, you know you you talk about what uh, I guess what Salesforce's goals are or whatever but I mean what do you think what do you think the number one if you asked, you know, if you could somehow get into Mark's, Mark Mark brain, what is his number one goal with Salesforce right now? What does he really want to do in the next year? Mm, probably grow the platform. In a- it's grow. Well, it's growing. The, they've the- got to keep growing this company, yeah. right? They've they've that is the number one goal. They have to keep the growth rate where it is, because if not, the wheels start falling off this thing. And so we are just not on their, really, <laughs> the problems we have are not on their radar. And I've been, yeah. I mean, I've had that but, told directly to me by, by, you know, people who know this at Salesforce. Yeah. It's just, this kind of stuff is not on their radar. No, I mean, they, because of their folks, they'll focus on that growth. And I think we even touched on this earlier. They, they, did, they can't take, they can't take the time to stop and polish some of this stuff or put some real dollars and research and innovation into it because they're focused on making sure they have all these new features that they're demonstrating growth and all those kind of things. But that, that can't, that's not sustainable, is it? It doesn't seem like it. And, and I don't know. I mean, just on some, sometimes I wonder if I'm, I'm exaggerating these things, but I, and, and maybe I'm a little bit, maybe, you know, I just, I have my own experiences and my own perspectives that kind of color my opinions, but maybe, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's, what was your question? Whether or not it was sustainable, that, that type of model of, of just constantly focused on growth. And, you know, letting the kind of the legacy issues pile up for the most part. The tech, the technical debt. That's what we would call it. The technical debt. At some point you've got to start paying that down. Right. But maybe the new tower will give them more room to, to put some more people and they'll get to focus on that. Who knows? That's true. If, if that tower comes with a load, a stack of cash, maybe that would. (laughs) 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 Yeah.
Or maybe when they're building the tower, they'll discover like massive gold deposits under it. I mean, it is, it is uh, California after all. Uh, yeah, but they don't own the building. They're gonna they're leasing the building. Oh, they're leasing yeah. it. I want, maybe they have mineral rights to it, though. You know, you never know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> uh, oh, all right. Well, so that else? I say, good day, sir. Good day, sir. And uh, and Neil Smith, an old butt buddy. Are you here, Neil? You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. I'm liking this ball. We're all heading to creepy. We all know that. Thank you. 